0: Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. Let's just make a move in the direction of an argument by considering first some cultural indicators. And let's start with TV. There's a particular Verizon commercial that I have on my mind. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a it's portrays I think four or five women all dressed in sort of beige suits. Anybody seen this? Oh, too bad. Well, I'll have to explain it then. If I if I'd been quick enough, maybe I could have put it up on the you know made a video of it. But they they're there in Verizon to make a decision about what sort of phone system they should have, what kinds of phones they should have for their sales force. Okay, so there's these four women lined up, and they're all very um, uh, crisp and mature, and there's one woman in charge. And then, So the camera pans, and then at the end of the line there's this kind of hapless man in a rumpled suit. It's the same color as the rest of the women's suits, but it's kind of his tie is crooked, and he's having trouble standing up straight, and he realizes the camera's just shown shown on him and he suddenly straightens up and tries to act cool. This is one image of the hapless man that you see again and again in a variety of commercials. Maybe you have your own examples. right? Um, another commercial that maybe you've seen is a little more recent. There's a commercial for a company selling smart home electronics. Maybe it's ADT or something like that. And there's a woman, a mom, going on a business trip and it seems that she can make up for her husband's inabilities and irresponsible behavior by taking this little device with her, which allows her to monitor the lights. Have you seen this? Maybe we have different commercials in Minnesota. I don't know. But, but she's in her hotel room, and she looks on this little thing, and she realizes her husband is still asleep on the couch with the kids, and it's after 11 o'clock, and they ought to be in bed. And so she turns the lights off, and she pushes the button and locks the front door. Okay, there's another example of a hapless man. I noticed tonight when Dr. Newton, is that his name, was making jokes about the husband that we all thought they were very funny, right? Okay, And not that they weren't. They were funny, and they're actually true. But this sort of, um, oh, I shouldn't say that. It was a little bit mean. But there is there is this tendency in our culture to point to men as being not quite competent. Am I right about that? You see that? Right? So it's always the guy that's doing something stupid, and that's not really fair, that's not really true. But it also has become a kind of pattern, a kind of co- cultural norm, that it's okay to make fun of the guy. Make fun of the women, no, oh no, that's, that's uh, dangerous territory, but it's okay to make fun of guys. Um, anybody ever seen The Simpsons? I haven't, actually, you've seen it. How is Homer per- portrayed, the dead? He's an idiot. Right, again week after week after, did you know that it's the longest ever running sitcom? It's been on, on TV for like 20 years or something how I avoided seeing it, I'm not sure. but Homer is portrayed as an idiot right We could probably cite plenty of examples okay So in in the, the images that people are taking in every night as they <coughs> sit on their couches and watch television, or movies or wherever, it's quite often the men that are somehow not quite up to snuff. Okay. How about in public moments? And here's that example I was thinking of. I was going to ask if the men in this room have ever tried to open a door for a woman or help her with heavy luggage or boxes or anything and then rebuffed. Yeah. How did it? Let's talk about it a little bit. Hello. That's what happened. Yeah. She said what? I can do it myself. I appreciate it, right. and I really would have opened the door for it. Yeah. I wouldn't have will for her she's a woman, but for Just though. yeah. It's a human value. It's not necessarily something you have to do for women, or men have to do it. But if you do it, it's taken as an affront to the woman. Now I was not not that long ago I was sitting in a cafe and I watched and there's a big window and I watched two men coming this way and a woman coming that way and they met at the door kind of at the same time and the men stepped back and opened the door for the woman and she was furious Yeah she had one of those suits on with those little ties you know and she I mean that's mean also that's probably not right to generalize but It was very clear that that was not what she wanted. And the men felt bad. They didn't know what to do. So they went in before her and she slammed the door and there you go, okay. Anybody hear about Larry Summers a few years ago? The president of Harvard. Okay, so I'm probably dating myself, but the president of Harvard made the mistake of suggesting that there were more men than women in science and math because men tended toward those disciplines more naturally than women. Did you hear about this? You would have thought that he suggested that Hitler was just a misunderstood figure in history. (laughs) I mean, whatever you think of his comment, the backlash from that comment was out of all proportion to the comment itself. So the question is, um, how free do men feel to speak publicly about the possibility there might be differences between men and women? You can't talk about that, right? It's, it's taboo. In my own institution, I'm, I'm like, people see me coming. <laughs> They're ready to argue with me about it because they, they fear any recognition of differences between men and women is gonna do what? What's it gonna do to the women? If I say there's a difference between men and women, what's at the other end of that road, do you think, as far as the women are concerned? They'll feel inferior. They'll feel inferior, right, yeah. Why is that? Why would a woman feel inferior or fear that she'd be made to feel inferior if she didn't compare favorably with a man? Who can put that in words? she feels inferior she's what okay well i would argue that the reason she feels that way is because she's already accepted the possibility that the only thing that really does count is to be like a man right dr newton's talk was fantastic for recognizing that that or didn't really say this but this would be one of the points to take away that in our culture, the male of the species has been considered normative, and women fear if you indicate somehow that there's differences between men and women, natural or otherwise, that somehow that means that I'm not measuring up. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what happens if you, you mentioned this yourself, what happens if you try to make an argument about abortion or contraception or natural marriage, traditional marriage. In my own context at the seminary, it is a known thing that there are certain things that priests simply cannot speak about anymore because they will offend the women. Now, sometimes they do anyway, right? but we all know what's, what's at stake there. It seems pretty clear that men are confused about how they are supposed to be now. Maybe not here at Steubenville, but in the general wider public. Um, Like we've established, they're basically hesitant to open doors for women anymore. They are bound by rules that seem to vary with the situation and are never really clear. Above all, never say or do anything that might offend a woman, including and perhaps most especially any hint that there might be differences between us, because that will lead to accusations of misogyny or gender discrimination and you're often marked forever after as just plain Neanderthal. Don't hint that abortion might be murder or that women don't have the right to kill their own children. That is sexist and primitive. So men are really walking on eggshells, and women who think they need power to make things right don't even realize how much power they have already and that they are actually exercising it in ways that are destructive for everyone. In the view that has prevailed in American education over the past decade, boys are resented both as the unfairly privileged sex and as obstacles on the path to gender justice for girls. This perspective is promoted in schools of education, and many a teacher now feels that girls need and deserve special consideration. Here's a quote from Patricia O'Reilly, a professor professor of education and the director of the Gender Equity Center at the University of Cincinnati. She says, It is really clear that boys are number one in this society and in most of the world. The idea that schools and society grind girls down has given rise to an array of laws and policies intended to curtail the advantage boys have and to redress the harm done to girls that girls are treated as the second sex in school and consequently suffer, that boys are accorded privileges and consequently benefit, these are things everyone is presumed to know, but they are not true. Let me just present some of the facts I have uncovered and then we'll take some time for further discussion. Compared to girls, boys are less likely to graduate from high school, less likely to go to college, more likely to be diagnosed with a learning disability, more likely to attempt suicide, use illegal substances, and engage in risky sexual behavior. Things that you already identified, actually. In the last 50 years in the US, death rates among children due to illness or accident have decreased, homicide rates have increased by more than 130%, and most of the victims are men. But suicide rates have gone up 140%. Suicide is now the third leading cause of death among Americans under 18. Among Americans ages 15 through 19, young men are five times more likely to kill themselves than young women are. Among those 20 to 24, young men are seven times more likely to do that than young women. I'm already realizing that this is, like, really a downer. We'll try it. I'm sorry. But no one gets their own set of facts. And these facts are overlooked by the people who have an agenda. In a 2014 study in England published to coincide with International Man's Day, did you know there was one? seeks to address, this study seeks to address the reasons why male suicide rates in Britain are at a 15-year high. Suicide is now the biggest cause of death in men aged aged 20 to 49 in England and Wales, with males accounting for 78% of all suicides in the United Kingdom. Okay, I better get off this topic. You're all looking really depressed. Why is this? For one thing, as I said before, the men felt more responsible for being the breadwinner, but were much more likely to have lost their jobs some more than once. A large percentage reported that they did not think they had the qualities to be attractive to women and a suitable spouse. But the report was most concerned about the fact that the men were much less likely than women to seek help when they experienced any kind of depression. And why would men be less likely to seek help? Well, according to this study, it seems they were stuck in old patriarchal myths about how men were supposed to be strong and able to take care of themselves. In another study, published in an issue of Social Psychology this past summer in 2015, the researchers sought to uncover what happens to the male ego when it is challenged in certain ways that are understood now to be stereotypical of men, like they are supposed to be stronger and more stoic in times of crisis. An analysis I read of the study said, with some irony, that it showed that men, quote, have yet to fully shake the idea that has been passed down from generation to generation, that to be deemed masculine, one must be a strong and powerful, unwavering rock of an alpha-type male. So for some people this crisis refers to men being confused because unaccountably they have still not given up on the stereotypes of the past. Those that call men to be strong protectors, leaders and providers. Things that here we know men are called to do. And the the literature and the discourse out there is trying to make the case that if only men would change their expectations of themselves construct themselves in some different way they would be healthier the men in this room agree with that a couple of you shaking your heads right it would be a disaster from our point of view this is a distortion of the problem because it is a refusal to recognize that men have a nature we want to maintain and quite rightly that women have a nature that is essential to them well so do men One need not fall into rigid stereotypes to claim that or to show it. And the radical feminist movement and the cultural forces under discussion here are all contributing to the confusion boys and men report feeling about how they are supposed to behave. Anthony Esselin, one of my favorite Catholic authors, says that boys are told over and over that men are responsible for all the evils in the world. All the great heroes have been deconstructed. There are few real-life and historical male role models for boys to look to for a real male figure. In the absence of such models, they turn elsewhere and open themselves up to misdirection from other males, peers, gang leaders, and worse. In a famously controversial article first published in The Atlantic in 2000, it's now a book in its second or third printing, I think, by Christina Hoff Summers, it was called The War Against Boys. She starts by saying, it is a bad time to be a boy in America. She points to the victory of the US women's soccer team in the Olympics that year as symbolic of the spirit of American girls, and this is gonna be even darker, and the shooting at Columbine as symbolic of the spirit of American boys. And this brings us to the real concern here. If it were only a simple matter of coming to some new understanding between us adults, it would be one thing. But unfortunately, the situation runs more deeply and is more systemic than that. It is a problem that actually originates in kindergarten. Dr. Meg Meeker, she's an author of a number of books, among them, Boys Should Be Boys, says that you can't have a a revolution without casualties And in the Feminist Revolution, the casualties were boys. Now, certainly there are more factors contributing to this situation than radical feminism. But in trying to help girls get ahead, our society has clearly swung in dramatic and evident ways toward making sure that girls have pride of place at all the tables. There's nothing wrong with affirming women, that's what we're here to do. But these efforts have, at the same time, proven very destructive of boys and men. Why do we have to look at it as a zero-sum game? And I just realized that I've been given the task of telling you stuff that isn't, like, lifting you up. How did that happen? It must be your fault. No, I'm just kidding. I was trying to make a joke. I'm, I'm getting depressed up here. Okay, so we're going, to, we're going to recover here, but there's some more facts you need to know. Because if what we really want to understand at this conference is how to affirm women and understand the role that women play in our culture, what we'll talk about tomorrow afternoon when I talk about complementarity is that both, and Dr. Norton did too, that both men and women have a role to play. Then we really have to understand the situation of men in our culture. And very few people are talking about it in this way. Okay, all right. Are you with me then? Some smile. I want you to smile. Okay. You look depressed. I don't like that. I don't know how this happened. Usually, I'm a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. So let me just fill out the picture a bit, and we're going to stick with education for now. It is quite clear that educators have made changes to the way they teach in the classroom and established schedules that favor female learning. They, are, they seem to be intent on keeping into an agenda that advantages female learning and, um, oh, I'm sorry, that advantages female developmental stages, girls' behavior, and girls' particular gifts. Now, here I'll reference a book called Boys Adrift by Leonard Sachs. He says that um, schools now are characterized by mostly female teachers. Often in grade schools especially, it's mostly women doing the teachers. You're lucky if you can get a man, right? Standards of behavior appropriate to girls, not to boys, are the norm. So you have to sit quietly for hours, and the behavior that's required is more typical of girls, and they're, you're making girls' behavior sort of the gold standard. Right? Yeah. Boys are treated like defective girls, says Dr. Sachs. Boys account for 70% of suspensions in grades K through 12 because of minor infractions, but under the zero-tolerance policy they have these days, suspensions are more likely. Dr. Sachs points out that if boys are told that their interests or their behavior is defective and offensive when all it is is boyish, they will disengage. I mean, maybe they don't want to read Little House on the Prairie. Or maybe that's, uh, now I'm really dating myself. No? You still use that? Okay. (laughs) Maybe they don't, right? Maybe they don't want to read Pride and Prejudice. Those are girls' books, for heaven's sake kind of. I mean, they shouldn't be. I mean, pre- I'm sorry, you know, we can make an exception, pride and prejudice, but there are now more women in men than men in college. In the United States, it's 58% female, 42% male. Did you know that? In 1949, it was 70% male, and, and in 1979, it was 49% male. Now, it's 42%. Boys and men are less likely to go, less likely to graduate, and they've accounted for race and income. They have no passion for real-world activity. They sort of disdain everything. Not caring about anything has become the mark of true guidem. Now, this isn't true at Steubenville, I'm sure of that, right? But you are a unique crowd. These are the people that you're going to minister to. This is true of the culture at large, Okay. So these factors are not just due to male laziness or something. This is the point. This is what people are concluding, but that is not what it's about. Dr. Sachs states that they start in kindergarten. Neuroscientists know that different regions of the brain in boys develop along a similar trajectory, but at a different pace than that of girls. They're usually about two years behind. For example, The region of the brain that is involved in integrating information from different sensory modalities develops more quickly in girls, whereas the area of the brain associated with spatial perception and object recognition develops more quickly in boys. In the visual cortex, girls between 6 and 10 years of age develop quickly, but not for boys. Now, all of this evens out by age 14 boys start to develop rapidly in this part of the brain, and it starts to shrink a bit, actually, in the girls. None of this means that that girls are smarter than boys or boys are smarter than girls. They are just different, and different aspects of the brain develop at different times up until a certain age. The point is, though, that that trying to teach a five-year-old boy to read is difficult. Um, And and it would likely be more difficult than teaching a girl, just because of the way his brain develops. He is not ready, generally speaking, and timing is everything in education. No matter how good good your methods, the child isn't ready, it's not going to matter. Okay. So it is not going to work, and it's a terrible way to introduce little boys to school to insist that they sit still and learn to read and do worksheets or whatever. Though you can still try, but you can't conclude if they don't get it or love it or have some trouble with it that this means there's something wrong with them or that they need ADD medication, which is usually what happens. The fact is that kids in kindergarten are now expected to do what first graders did 30 years ago. So the frustrated teachers divide the kids into two or more groups, right? There will be the good students, maybe one or two boys, but mostly girls, and then over there are the dumb students, mostly boys. And the rest is history. Research indicates that once they form the opinion that they are not too smart or that the teacher doesn't like them, they tend to generalize that to other teachers in classrooms. Parents are starting to figure this out, and are holding their sons back a year or two in school. But in Finland, kids don't start formal education until the age of seven. But by the time they get to high school, they are outperforming US students. Sachs reports that one of the most destructive influences in young men's lives is obsession with video games. It impacts boys and girls, both, but boys in particular. If they have minimal contact with the real world, If reality is mediated to them via video games or TV and movies, they have a harder time grasping concepts as real and making sense of the world. Remember, boys are more object-oriented. So what are they doing? They're playing with objects in a virtual world instead of building forts or picking up a ball and throwing it or knocking their little brother over or whatever. Pick up a Barbie doll and play army with them, which is what they do, right? If you give them dolls... They, they form them up into armies. I know this. I've done all this research, and I'm boring you with it. But, you know, this is really important. This is so important for you to understand that the, the way the culture looks at men is that they're somehow not quite so smart. But it's the system of the way we educate them and the fact that we don't acknowledge their own developmental patterns that has convinced them, in many cases, that they are not so smart, and then they disengage, right? And then they don't show up. Yeah. Okay, another factor, the overprescribing of ADD and ADHD medication. Boys are 30 times more likely to be taking these medications in 2007 than they were in 1987. And when these medications are taken over a long period of time, Especially when the condition they are meant to resolve has been misdiagnosed, the child often becomes belligerent and angry, uncooperative, and and unmotivated to do much of anything except play video games. Okay. Um, So as a result of all this, people have started to speak about a growing crisis in masculinity, and most seem mostly surprised by it. How could there be such a thing? I wonder why. Boys are ridiculed, punished, blamed in classrooms and in the media. We know about Homer Simpson. Um, In TV shows and commercials, men are portrayed as idiots. The women are almost always the smart ones. They are told that men are the cause of all the problems in the world, and what else do they know? What else can we expect? So the truth is, there are very few good role models for a boy to look at when he asks himself what it means to be a man, and no means of making that transition in a meaningful way. Researchers tell us that both young girls and young men, but young men in particular, have to be taught what it means to be a man, not a macho man. That can, that can't, that can happen by itself, but uh, as someone said here, you really need some guidance on how to become a man because women, their nature is built into their very bodies. Who they are meant to be is imminent in them. But boys have a different kind of struggle. Becoming a man of virtue, a gentleman, is most definitely something that is not hardwired. The young man has to be taught that, formed into a gentleman. This initiation includes uh, teaching the things that fathers and sons do together, going fishing. Learning how to fish teaches a boy skills, teaches him not only how to bait a hook, it teaches him patience while he waits for the fish to bite. He learns he can fend for himself in the wild. It gives him contact with something real. Craig Wilkinson, he's the the founder of Father a a Nation, who works at the UN. He says that the crisis of masculinity is the crisis of fatherhood. He reports that, in fact, UNICEF cites absentee fathers as the main driver behind the biggest social er uh, problems of our time. He shares an illuminating story about his native South Africa where in some areas elephant populations grow too large. So park rangers have two options. They can start shooting the elephants, or they can move some elephants to another location. In one case, rangers opted for the latter, relocating a population of young elephants across the country. Not long after, the young male elephants began running riot. They killed lots of other animals, not for food or protection, but for the sheer thrill of it. No one could figure out what the problem was. Finally, someone decided that the adolescent elephants needed some male role models. Rangers introduced older male elephants into the population, and within two weeks, the problems cleared up. The killing stopped, and the the population grew tame. The older elephants both policed the younger ones and modeled good behavior. So Wilkinson echoes some of what we said before. Put simply, no one is born knowing how to be a man. Men learn the right ways from good men around them. In the past, that meant a father. Not anymore. And that's what we'll talk about tomorrow. The substitutes on offer in our culture include the mythologies that have grown up around sex, money, and power. The hookup culture confuses both men and women about who they are. But men in particular, like you were saying, equate sexual conquest with masculinity. The media is a pervasive influence. Just watch your average beer commercial. But a real man is someone who never forgets that he was put on this earth to protect and to care for others. He knows that women and children are persons and cannot be treated as objects. So I think I'm almost out of time, I'm just going to uh, skip this part. Another Catholic commentator, Dr. Michael Pinnell, father of six, three of them boys, says that his greatest challenge has been countering what the culture wants them to become conquerors and playboys never growing up and never taking on adult responsibilities with what he and his wife want them to become, protectors and providers like Joseph, St. Joseph. So what is the solution? Well, what may be the biggest factor in this whole situation is, as you might have guessed, the general absence of fathers from the home. Half of all boys grow up without a father in the home. They have fewer male teachers, and there are fewer and fewer real heroes. Here's some more facts. More than 30 million children in the U.S. do not have a father living with them. 90% of all runaway and homeless children are from fatherless homes. 90% of those you see on the street are from a fatherless home. More than 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. At least 85% of all youths in prison grew up in a fatherless home. The impact on boys is visible in the data. For every 100 girls between the ages of 15 and 17 in correctional facilities, there are 837 boys. For every young woman ages 20 to 24, there are 1,450 young men in prison. I know it is not politically correct to say it and if it were anywhere else I might not say this exactly this way but no one gets their own set of facts like I mentioned. This is unfortunately particularly true in the African American community. 71 percent of African American infants are born to unmarried women compared to 29 percent for white women. The birth of a child does not motivate many African American couples to get married Sixty-six percent of black children are not living with married parents. Okay, there's more data here, but well, I guess I've done it enough uh, convincing. <laughs> I really will be, you know, it will be really fun tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to take up that theme tomorrow in my Life Without Fathers session, and I'll go home and revise it, and I'll put some jokes in. Okay? <laughs> All right. So please come. But what I, I, I really wanted to present this here, I guess, because I want the young men that are represented in the audience to recognize what is being done to you in the name of girls and women, which is unjust. right? And that this, the women in this room, you need to know that too, right? I mean, this is good information. Because don't we tend to think, oh, when are men going to figure it out? There might be some truth to that, because women know different things than men do, and we'll talk about that tomorrow afternoon in spades. But um, if we're going to write the situation in the culture, what we really need is to have groups like this talk with each other about what's really so armed with data like this, and get to the bottom of it. Share your difficulties, your, your questions, your concerns. And I, I've, in doing this research, and I've written on the Masculine Genius, Dr. North, Norton mentioned it, right? Newton mentioned it, uh, but I actually wrote, I have a theory of the Masculine Genius that we'll talk about tomorrow afternoon. And in getting going on that project, I just came to feel so much empathy for the men in my life that I wanted to share that with you. So I, what I want to do is end with a quote from this mostly forgotten French philosopher. His name is Ernest Hillot. He wrote a book called L'homme, which means man in French. And I first found Hello quoted by the great Dominican Thomist, Reginald Garrigou Lagrange, in his text, The Three Stages of the Interior Life. Maybe some of you have read it. You should look for this footnote. Here's what he says. The truly mediocre man admires everything a little and nothing with warmth. He considers every affirmation insolent because every affirmation excludes the contradictory proposition. But if you are slightly friendly and slightly hostile to all things, he will consider you wise and reserved. The mediocre man says there is good and evil in all things, and that we must not be too absolute in our judgments. If you strongly affirm the truth, the mediocre man will say that you have too much confidence in yourself. The mediocre man regrets that the Christian religion has dogmas. He would like it to teach only ethics. And if you tell him that its code of morals comes from its dogmas as the consequence comes from the principle, he will answer that you exaggerate. If the word exaggeration did not exist, the mediocre man would invent it. He goes on to say that the great man is someone who has learned to love, and that the great man bows down on his knees before the truth and seeks to proclaim it loud and clear to everyone he meets. And that the great no, anyone who learns how to love will never be mediocre. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.